All right, people, we've made it. Another season, another season finale. Season 4, episode 10, The Children. After last week's banger of an episode, I didn't think we could get much better, but it turns out we did. As it turns out, you can actually one-up the big battle sequence episode. Pat, what do you have to say going into season 4, episode Well, 10? Dom, uh, I, I think the Talking TV family uh, can agree with me that, uh, you know, it's the new blood, right? You know, the, the new characters are being introduced into the show, and you know, it's being teased. So I guess we'll find out more next season. Indeed. This is the season four finale of Talking Thrones. Well, Pat, another season come and gone, another finale. I love doing these episodes. They're always so much fun because we don't want to just talk about the episode in and of themselves. We always talk about kind of the overarching story threads that have been established since the beginning of the season. We always talk about kind of where the characters are in their journeys towards that very awful awful series finale and there's a big one for a lot of different reasons the episode is obviously entitled the children uh you know if, if we're gonna go with the actual literal translation you know this episode has its chock full of moments Tyrion killing tywin uh you know the duel between brienne and the hound uh stan is finally arriving north of the north at the wall and uh you know there's a lot of big moments that happen in this episode but for me personally the big takeaway from this episode is that this is really kind of the culmination of everything that season four has been doing which is kind of shaping the after the gangbusters event of the Red Wedding. It's shaping up the remaining characters, placing them onto their different points of the chessboard in order to kind of navigate them towards their new phase of their journey. You know, there's a lot of endings that happen in this episode. A lot of characters going off to quite literal new destinations that they've never been to for been to before a lot of you know symbolic representation a lot of symbolic closing the doors on a lot of journeys that we've been following for the last couple of seasons. I don't know what what are your thoughts on that going into this episode? Uh, my biggest thoughts, you know, uh, now, you know, cause I, I watched this episode, uh, last night to prepare for, to, for today. And, um, you know, the only thing I can think of, to be honest with you is does season five have the oysters and cockles, uh, yes. uh, from Aria? Yes, it does. That is unfortunately oh, where man. it begins. Yeah. Oh, because, because it, it's like, <laughs> I was hoping to that too. I was hoping they would get through one more season without that, but uh, uh, I guess it is season five, yep. uh, from what you're telling yep. me. Uh, so we're about to head down that storyline. And, yeah. and, and although this, this finale, you know, Aria's, uh, arc, um, is like the perfect place to end season four because, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into it uh, right now, but like just that final sequence, you know, uh, with Brienne and the Hound and and, you know, what, what Arya has, you know, it, it's all about like Arya having to make a decision, um, you know, and she's been roaming around with the Hound. The confrontation is all about, you know, um, her protection and, you know, like who's going to better serve her, the Hound or Brienne? And the fact is, Arya is not, you know, this little girl that needs to be protected anymore. She's someone that, you know, has a bigger purpose and someone that, you know, is going to jump on a boat and really 
kind of be on the open sea for, I guess, an entire off season of the show um, before she gets to the uh, selling of her uh, seafood. Oysters, clams and cockles. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the, but the fact is like, it's, it's, you know, uh, speaking of the children in the name of the episode, um, you know, she grows up in that duel, right? She's witnessing the hound and Brienne fight over her as if she's helpless and, you know, at that moment, she makes a decision and, and she strikes off on her own. And, um, you know, I think it's a big moment for the character. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's one hell of a scene as well. Well, it's one of the biggest reasons to me why it sets this episode apart from not only the other series finales, but also probably is one of the best episodes of the whole show is the fact that you kind of have those really critical storytelling like coming not coming of age that's the wrong phrase to use it but like coming to a decision let's call it for lack of a better word for all the major characters we really explore you know like i said they, we, we 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 wrapped up a couple of the other ancillary arcs two episodes ago in the mountain of the viper obviously with the whole the fion ramsey arc the sansa Vale arc you know we wrapped those up a couple episodes ago but we but you know kind of building off of the momentum of the the watchers on the wall and just how impactful and how much of a like a critical coming of age moment that was for john and sam and all the survivors of that fight we kind of have again like john you know, finally make a decision. You know, well, again, he's past the point of being a boy. He now understands his purpose and, you know, what he's doing for his greater cause. You know, you have Tyrion making a similar decision, you know, finally, like, kind of gaining a little bit more control or semblance of control on all the hardships that have kind of, you know, followed him in his life. You have, again, a smaller moment and kind of an overlooked sequence from this episode, but also the whole Cersei revelation to Tywin and finally gaining some authority in her life that she's really never had before. Daenerys, as well, has to make a very very difficult decision that may not seem so to a lot of people, but is that way, you know, all, all across this episode, you have all of these characters coming to terms with kind of everything that we've known about them. That has kind of so driven their identities for these past four seasons that we've watched. And so it really makes this, I think really fascinating as far as tying, tying a nice little knot on an entire season that has kind of been dedicated to almost deconstructing everything that we thought we knew about what was already a pretty deconstructive show to begin with. Yeah, the only thing I had to say is is uh, that moment with Cersei and and just you know uh, confronting Tywin and saying, "Hey, listen, all those rumors that were in front of you the whole time—they're yeah, true. They're, they're all true. They're all true. And, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the look on his face—it's amazing." Yeah, I just have to applaud her timing, right? You know, it's like, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to tell you this fact, drop this bomb, and then, you know, later that evening, uh, he can't really sleep, and so he goes down to the privy, and there's I, oh, Tyrion. Oh, caught by Tyrion. <laughs> escaped with a crossbow, and it's I mean, it's I mean, like... I mean again, RIP to the great Charles Dance. This is the last episode that he's in, obviously, alive. You know, we see his body in the next couple episodes, but, like, obviously, yeah, you know, yeah, it's... Tywin is one of a few characters that meets their untimely demise in this episode, but... Yeah, it's it's oh the, the the look on his face. Yeah, and I love too the line that she delivers where she's like, I don't. She's like, I don't want to. I don't care about you telling another story about the time that you won. <laughs> I just that was just yeah. It, no, everything about right, it is yeah. is great. With the, specifically with the Lannisters, I think. Yes. You know, one of those things is like you know Cersei uh, tells off Tywin and then goes and and tells Jamie. It's like oh you know I finally have a backbone. I I told off Papa and. You know, like, you know, and then basically they're, they're all, they uh, start making out and it's like, someone will come in and it's like, don't, I don't care. You know, like, I don't and, care. And, like, out of whatever. Certain, so, like, finalized version of, again, like kind of playing into that whole, this season being the whole deconstruction of the, of the Lannisters, um, you know, thing that I'm yeah. talking about at the beginning of the season, you see but, all those seeds in this episode come to fruition. Yeah. But it's the defiance here. Like Cersei is, is finally defiant of her father 
and not doing, you know, what he expects and, and telling the truth and, you know, doing what she finally wants. And she immediately goes and, and confronts Jamie and, and talks to him about this. Um, and, and later on in the episode, you know, after I, I think a little bit of a, a, a break, that's when, you know, Tyrion's sitting there in prison and, and Jamie comes in and decides, hey, I'm working with Varys um, to get you free. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where, like, Cersei finally, you know, uh, trying to stake her freedom away from Tywin leads to Jamie thinking he could do the same, which ultimately leads to, you know, sort of Tyrion uh, <laughs> to basically, I guess, right. ultimately doing the same in his own way. Uh, but, you know, that, that leads to, obviously, Tywin's murder. Uh, so I think it's like a chain... <laughs> It's like a chain reaction, you know, it's the defiance, like, you know, uh, I guess Tyrion has always been defiant, but like Cersei right. decides to be defiant, which leads to Jaime, which leads to, It's, it's know, a whole Tyrion. chain reaction that just kind of, yeah, like, exactly. And, 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 results in Tywin's death. And well, we, we see the results of that, of, we see the results of that in the later season. So let's start this episode again. This episode picks up right where the last episode left off. John north of the wall. John marching right into Mance's encampment. I, I, I don't know. Kind of like, well, what are the odds that he actually would have been able to like walk into that encampment like fully alive without some wildling coming in and trying to kill him first? I mean, I know that they're still well, kind of exhausted from the battle the night before, but I, you know, I think you know the the tree line is is pretty. Uh, good distance away. So when they see the um, you know cave open up and close, and they see one guy walking towards the tree line, I don't, I don't think they're really that scared. That's uh, true. They they obviously set up in a formation to surround him when he comes into the woods. Um, you know, and he's going to talk to he's going right. to talk to Mance. He even says it. He's like, it's pretty obvious. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm one guy. I'm here. I'm here to talk to Mance. I'm here to negotiate. Even though we all know what his real intents and purposes. And, and again, the conversation that follows. I mean, again, we consider the fact that again, we haven't seen Mance Raider in an entire season and a half since what episode three of last season, I think, is when he sent John and Tormund on their little mission south of the Wall. And so he sits down with them and you know immediately greets him. Is like, oh, so you're wearing a black cloak again? It's like, looks like my trusting nature got the better of me. And they sit down. They have a great conversation. It's it just it's great. Yeah, I think all, it's putting all their cars in the table. Everything's great. It's like uh, pour him a drink. He thinks it's poison. You know, it's it's oh, I could kill you so many other ways. Of all the ways um, I could kill you, poison would be the last. Exactly. And, and so I think you know, basically, what I think is smart about this scene is that you know, obviously, John is there to kill Mance, and I think Mance suspects that before he they even get down he, ha to he has to suspect it in some capacity because he's like i'm gonna offer you a drink i'm gonna offer you some food i'm gonna do this and that and then it's like oh that's why you're here to kill me like you know after i offered you all this stuff right. is that the type of man you are is that the is type that of what a man of the know, night watches right again again exactly john right where his low is attacking john again with, with his precious honor the whole thing because the, the, again it's the thing that always drives me nuts it's the same thing as to why i wish that john could get on board with alizar thorne it's the almost damn near the same thing with mance where they're both fighting for the same thing, just on opposite sides. And that's the thing that Mance really solidifies and really hammers home here uh, after they talk about their dead and they have a really great moment toasting Egret and Gren and Magnemite and all, and all their other fallen on both sides. But, and you even see John take a note from this book after Mance's unfortunate death in the season five premiere, which is that he ultimately understands that at the end of the day, none of these divides, not uh, all of these political divides, like they're all pointless. Mance even says to himself, he's like, look, we're not here to wage war and fight. He's like, we, we don't care about killing crows as much as we say. Yeah, We're here to they, hide on your side of the wall. 
Well, I like the way they put it. It's we're, we're here to access your tunnel, right? <laughs> you know, and, like, we, and get to like, get to the other tunnel. side, and that's it. If not for the fact that they, you know, just fought a giant battle, and the fact that they're still let everybody's still pretty on edge, Mance offers some pretty reasonable terms there, which is that it's like, look, let us through the wall, and we won't attack any of you. You know, I, again, like it, it's kind of hard given just the circumstances, but considering the fact that that's exactly what John does a whole season later, it's like. I don't know. Those, those seem like pretty reasonable terms. Oh yeah, and you know? I also, I also think you know, imagine this this division didn't really happen, and right, uh, maybe John knows more information about what's happening at Winterfell with the Boltons. Like he could easily have them, you so know, come easily. south, so uh, easily, you know, set up some sort of encampment, you know, do some training and do some plotting to really retake Winterfell. Obviously, you know, as uh, Lord Commander, or even with Alice, you know, um, what's his what's his face, uh. Thorn, um, Alistair Thorne. Yeah, Alistair Thorne. Uh, even with him, you know, sort of in charge, like maybe that wouldn't be necessarily the, the first goal. Right. Um, but, you know, the fact is, like, over time, you know, he could get to know the wildlings or the, the, the northerners, so to speak, and, and you know, sort of like uh, immense a relationship and a force that uh, could deal with uh, you know, the Boltons at some point later down the line. Right. Instead, you know, it's like, um, you know, the whole thing happens where the Night King sort of raids their camp, uh, leads to a lot of them dying. They have to flee. Uh, so their, their strengths later on are still decent, but you know, not yeah, as good much, much as if they, like, they like, figured it, it out. Right. It's a, it's like, cause that's the whole big point of reference when we get to battle of bastards is the fact that even though John has a decent amount of wildlings, it's not enough entirely to take on the Boltons. It's why they yeah, have to exactly. so, on their little parade of recruit the next couple of houses. So yeah, de definitely something interesting there. Like, we'll get into that once we get into season five and we get into, like, again, how they really, really started to deviate from the books. Obviously, as we know, season five is the last season that's fully based on the books. But, as you know, again, John makes his move. Mance quickly realizes, oh, so that's why you're really here. He starts jabbing away at him. But next thing you know, they hear trumpets outside. Uh, you know, they, they hear, mar you know, oh, yeah. horses. Mance is like, is this you? And John's like, no, it's like you said, we don't have the men. Uh, I think that was I think that was great is the, the back and forth like Mance right. is just like I think you only got you know this many men you know yeah. it's like well because and, he knows you know, that John's a liar at this point in his head he's exactly doing, look, if John lied to me about all the it's, 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 he has to be like there's, there's no way the Night's Watch has a hundred has a hundred thousand men he's well like, I, I think it's I think I, I think uh John said something like a thousand you know in this scene a thousand right right um, exactly you know like, so he's like you don't even have three hundred men especially after how many people we killed last night you know yeah but i like the reliance on you know um you know man saying you know i'm telling you the truth i'm being straightforward and right. when push comes to shove john immediately basically right. you know john realizes he has to tell the truth as well right. so um you know it's one of those things where you know um i think for the first four seasons of the show and maybe into uh the next season with the fact that stannis is around um, you know, John has all these great teachers, you know, uh, Mormont, uh, you know, Ned Stark, uh, you know, obviously Mance Raider, Raider, to an extent, uh, Alistair Thorne. Yeah, Alistair Thorne, like Stannis, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Davos, Davos. Uh, becomes a teacher. So he has these great teachers um, and, you know, that make him a great leader throughout the show. And so, you know, I think I think it's. Um, it's just great to, to watch these scenes and watch where he sort of becomes this noble character, um, you know, where the influences come from. 
you know, it, it's, I think that's really the great part of Jon Snow's character development is just seeing how he reacts to other great leaders that he's dealing with uh, during these particular uh, scenarios. 100%. And as we see, Stannis, oh, it's a great shot too with, with the army literally just all charging, you know, right from yeah. right from next <laughs> to like the wall. The, they charge I like the guy that tries to kill the Stannis. The guy that tries to kill Stannis and the rider just comes in and takes him out. That was great. That yeah, was like hilarious. Stannis was, he's basically, you know, he's confident. He, he yeah. His men know how to protect him. He's not going to be stopped by some random guy running in. Um, you know, so it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's definitely a cool sequence. It's a surprise. Exactly. It's a surprise. Again, immediately establishes the tension, the back and forth there where Stan is, is like, so you're Mance Raider. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, he's like, uh, even so, you know, we don't, he's like, this says, he's like, oh, this is the king of the eye of the seven kingdom, whatever the Davos says. And Stan and Mance is like, even still, we don't kneel, you know, a, a man of principle to the end. Very much so. Davos notices John with him. He's like, what's a man of the night's watch doing here? And he, and he, um, he's like, oh, I was sent to negotiate with the king beyond the wall. And the, Again, like it's 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 a moment that I was kind of really waiting for. Where it's like, okay, so this whole kind of at least Stannis's whole you know uh, movement within the story within the overall story started from Ned Stark sending him that letter originally, telling him the truth about Joffrey's parentage way back in season one. And so I was always gonna wonder, even building up to how it was gonna end in the books. This is exactly where Storm of Swords ends for John in um what's it called in. What's in the books is John negotiating with Mance and then Stannis coming in to, you know, quote unquote, save the day. And so it was always going to be interesting to me seeing how the bastard son of Ned Stark was going to react with the brother of Robert Baratheon, you know, kind of almost like these extensions of like these, you know, almost like kind of the, the next phase of like these previous two people that fought together. So I was always going to be interested in the relationship that developed between the two of them. And you, and you see here, it's like the beginnings of like this steadfast, like, back and forth relationship with them which is where they don't necessarily entirely trust each other even though they probably should but they both know that they kind of stand for the same things which is you know that sense of honor that sense of duty that sense of moral righteousness and they as a result are able to kind of learn from each other and also do things that the other might not do but also you know come to learn in respect of each other you know like i said yeah. like i said you know davos immediately tries to you know put john in his place and be like oh this is the king and john's like i know exactly who he is my father died <laughs> for him i yeah, love so that i i i i think you know, this is a great sequence because, you know, it's obviously Jon Snow quickly and, and rightfully is like your grace and, and all that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, invoking Ned Stark and, and being like, you know, listen, you know, uh, what my father would have done is he, you know, would have right. listened. He would have taken this man prisoner, Mance, and he would have listened to what he has to say. And, you know, it's like. But you know what else my father would have done? He would have burned the bodies. Uh, burned you know, these it, bodies. Yeah, it's uh, it's something like you know, seeing what I've seen, you know, um, right. you know, he would have also burned the bodies of all the dead. Um, and so it, it's it's you know that's kind of an ominous thing. You know, you get told that you should take this man prisoner and then burn all these bodies. Right. Um, and I, you know. I, love, I love the White Walker music that's slowly <laughs> playing in the background. And they almost yeah. kind of mix it with the, uh, with, with the you know, Melisandre theme as well. And you see that kind of, like, motif kind of carried through in the later sequence when you have that mass uh, burning with, with that great speech that Maester Eamon gave. And you see John. Uh, as he's burning the bodies, he sees Melisandre staring at him very sexually in the distance. And I'm like, oh, great. So now Melisandre's got a new target. So now we understand that there may have been an ulterior motive for her coming north of the wall as well. But there are a couple more sequences that I think are just really, really tie up this whole yeah. sequence really beautifully, which is, of course, John's final conversation oh. with Tormund 
where they oh, talk yeah, about yeah. E, where they talk where they <laughs> oh, talk about great. Great. oh it's amazing it's uh, like, unbelievable like the the the, the... I think the the best thing is Tormund goes. Did you love her? And he doesn't really. I don't know if he really answers. He doesn't really answer. Um, that's the thing. He's kind of. And then he then, then he throws it in uh, his face. It's like, well, she loved you. Not that she ever said it. Oh, she ever she said just it. talked. She just talked oh, about, she killing about killing you. That's how I <laughs> that's do. That's how I know. Yeah, no, it's, I, I love that. It's, it's, it's great thinking. Um, you know, like and also Tormund's trying to like uh, catch him off guard. You know, right. he's trying. He's trying to. He's bringing a certain charisma to the situation, you know, and, and talking to John this way. Yes. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where, um, this is why the two of them, um, can get over this hump and, you know, be friends and also uh, become like you know, great allies later on. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are, they know the deal. They know that they are able to sort of get beyond, um, the situation they were in. Um, and they're, they're going to be able to team up, uh, pretty handily yeah um you know going forward in the next season and in the seasons after so absolutely yeah um, while also giving us a chance to say one last and also giving john and us the audience one last chance to say goodbye to egret by telling him you know like she belongs in the north the true north you know and and so john takes her north of the wall and gives her that little burial ceremony and you kind of see him like yeah that, almost, I it, wish... oh, it's almost like that last look of like you know boyhood innocence you could see him like dealing with that leave his face before he just gets up sto- steadfastly and just marches away from it as you see yeah it. I think this would I think this would have been a perfect opportunity, um, you know, to to like maybe tease, uh, you know, like uh, the Night King, like maybe have the Night King sort of like staring off in, from the distance and, and John sort of sees him but walks away. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't not necessarily need hold that but, point. Like, we'll we'll get we'll get because we'll get to that in a little point because obviously we see you know that you know this is not the only storyline that occurs in the North real quick. But let's cut to Meereen real quick. And yeah. This is again it's the shortest segment of the episode. It's very brief, but it does still tie oh, automatically. Yeah. Kind of again this this sense of like the characters having to say goodbye uh, to you know this piece of themselves that they knew in the past, which is of course the yeah. learns that yeah maybe it's not a good idea to have some can I, can I tell you dragons just ca- casually flying around. You know can I t- can I tell you I hated this whole sequence I, I like watching it this time no it's it's it kind of it all makes sense you know uh but it's it's just like you know how many how many people is she going to listen to yeah uh, that's all she does is like every day she they just, come in she becomes the bad queen i go mad listening to the 10 of those people yeah but it's 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 like the same problems over and over and over again and it's like Oh, I used to be a teacher, but now I'm nobody. And well, it's like, what's interesting I s- about this conversation is it brings up, once again, playing into the, the, her whole arc throughout this season, which is her constant wondering of, you know, doing the right thing on the surface, but then once you actually break down the nitty-gritty and, like, kind of every little piece of it, you realize, oh, wait, it's kind of problematic. Which, and I'm like, I kind of get where the guy's coming from. Which, again, the guy, the, you know, the, well, the yeah, classist it, struggle both applied to the slaves of the cities as well, and that the, the, the slaves of the more, of, of, of certain of the wealthy, you know, definitely like again it's the whole thing you know we, we talk what's about this. what's this contract going to be like you just live in my house and i feed you and then you teach my kids well, again, like it's not i think i think that's specifics of it it's more so about no, no, I, the overall I, generalized idea of it yeah but i understand like you know the main thing is like um you know she could very easily you know change the system where it's no longer slavery but it's like you know, it, a form of indentured servitude almost. Well, that, not even it doesn't even have to be indentured servitude. It could just be you know you're sell you know selling your labor. Um, you know why can't she start a school and get other slaves like this to be a part of it, uh, and and make like an attempt. You right. know what I mean? Like 
like it, the sequence is so small that it's okay, all about I get, like I get what you're going for. It, it's just like oh, instead of like doing all that, instead of starting a school and and like having the state pay these people and and you know uh, try to recoup the money through the, you know the masters paying for it, you know forget it. I, I, I'm just going to allow you to go back to to being yeah, a servant. I, I, and again, um, I get where you're coming from, and that definitely builds into again more so what which is the kind of crux of the arc her entire season, which is her inexperience with learning and the fact that almost like she doesn't. I, I don't want really, it's not it's well just, I, I feel I feel like it streamlines the problem right it's just right. Sh it's showing that some you know uh you know some people don't want to change or they're too old to change right. like it, that's really the the sort of uh you know entry point of this storyline uh but I, I think there's like you know basically not enough screen time to go over uh you know necessarily the consultation that might have happened right. with advisors like you know this is an opportunity where you know uh jora is no longer around so maybe um you know uh his counsel's not there to help in right. this scenario so that really causes her to make this bad decision yeah and, and you know like what is... what in story wise could this have you know been utilized other than just like oh you know um you know, this is some old stuff, you know, like, right. like the, the, the masters are going to take advantage of it. I think it's a line of dialogue that's so on the nose uh, and it just sets up next season of, of the masters sort of striking back. And it's, it's, you know, it's brief, it's simple, like it's pretty streamlined. Uh, but to me, it just felt a little bit lazy uh, to sort of set up the whole relapse back into slavery that right. the masters are going to take advantage yeah. of. It I could have agree. been a little bit bigger. It could have played into the other characters. Uh, it could have been a better setup. But obviously, that's not what this episode is about. Um, but again, you know, it's it's thrown in there. It's rather quick. It's underdeveloped. Uh, and I think that's the reason why I don't necessarily like this sequence. Um, you know, and then the next person comes in. Uh, you know, and it's like if anything, you can um, almost make the argument that you didn't even really need any Daenerys this episode. You can almost put this sequence in the beginning of next season, where you may have more, a little bit more time to flesh it out and develop it. Also, yeah, exactly. And, and and like the I get it. The kid, the the uh, like the, yeah, I'm the, assuming the dragon, he's a shepherd. Yeah, the, the dragons uh, killed the shepherd's kid. Yeah, and so the kid is is gone, and um, you know, it, it's it's a cool prop. You know, I, I enjoy the uh, seeing the prop of, of the burned bones and stuff. Like, really excellent job to uh, the people that put that prop together. Um, but, like, ultimately, it just leads to her, you know, chaining up the other two dragons, which, right. you know, is important for later on. It's like, you know, during her stay, um, you know, in, in the temple or, or the pyramid, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, basically, they're locked up. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's... But even with that, you know, later on, it's like when they get re released, it's not like they're traumatized they, by they being locked even, up. It doesn't even um, take that much to be released. They literally just break out of the wall. It's like you, you couldn't have done yeah, that Yeah, it, it's just like, you know, it's yeah. an excuse oh, for Tyrion to, to go in there. 100%. Yeah, yeah no, the, the um, logistics of the dragons so, being, being held in captivity, we'll get to at a later point. But at least for now, yeah, I understand it, it, it because the whole purpose, the, this, the, the, metaphorical purpose the thing that's meant is the fact that she is again having to say goodbye to a part of herself that she's become so familiar with that has become again like kind of this grinding forces these dragons have literally been a part of her since the beginning since the first episode when she got them as eggs and now the fact that they are kind of getting a little bit too out of control to and the point that they could potentially be hindrances in this vision in this new kind of new world order that she's trying to get across that you know that that you know it, the look is all in her face but i, I definitely get where you're coming from as far yeah, as yeah I, I just think i just think you know her storyline 
in this particular season um, is really scattered. It's just sort of like, uh, you know, a few scenes of her doing things and like, you know, um, there's no real big buildup. There's no real big conclusion. Um, you know, it's sort of like this is the end of right. of her is just like and, and essentially that listen to a couple people and that they had to take like an entire like last sect of an arc that was really again they kind of did the majority of in season three and kind of stretched out across the course of however many episodes. That's the other thing I forgot to do. Daenerys is in a lot of this season. Like I think she's in more of this season than she was last season, if I'm not mistaken, before she becomes, like, again, one of, like, the central role players in the next couple of seasons as we get to. But the only thing that I'll ask Well, then, well I, I think, you know, what if, you know, in this storyline, you know, um, Jorah, you know, somehow has a calming effect on the dragons or, like, you know, you know, obviously they listen to her, but, you know, Jorah's sort of, like, maybe the, they could have introduced some sort of, like, the dragons view him as like the father figure or something like that. And then she has to banish him. And then the dragons are going around, right. you know, the fact uh, that it killing goats, personal. killing people, you know, they're terrorizing and it's because the relationship, right. it doesn't you know, feel as personal. And if anything, that was, you, you know, could almost make the argument that that was almost sort of established in the, in her little episode moment that she had back in the first episode of this season where she's you know just chilling with the dragons that jor comes up and then they bring out the lamb and they you know recoil on her and it's supposed to set up the fact that they are getting older and they're basically in their adolescent phase they're not going to listen to her as yeah. much but no 100 you know and i and i get that i'm, I'm just trying maybe i'm grasping at straws i'm like fantasy uh <laughs> booking the episodes Trust me, well, um i have plenty of those when we get you to know later but the, the main thing is like you know, a little bit of cause and effect here of, you know, what's going on, not just sort of like, uh, blah, here it is, um, and throwing it out there. It's, uh, you know, a little bit of build up, a little bit of like, you know, m- moment to think deep into it. I understand that this show is about interweaving many different stories and, and sometimes we don't get, um, really that much development on things. It's better if just having a scene and then move on and, and, you know, uh, maybe that storyline is not the best in this episode, uh, but, you know, there's going to be some great moments in next season. So, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things where they made a choice. Uh, they kept this really on the, the down low and, and streamlined it uh, and didn't really have much for Daenerys this episode. Um, I just personally uh, didn't like it. I, I, I could have done without it. Um, you know, just because of all the reasons I said, it's, it's just not, uh, developed as much. And I think, you know, I'm just imagining some cooler possibilities, uh, in my mind that I might want to, you know, would have loved to see. Uh, and therefore it's, it's just like, eh, you know, it, it had potential, but they didn't really go in that direction. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of, like I said, the, the, the other big thing too about this episode that's predominantly there is, is like I said at the beginning of this episode, like I said, we're wrapping up a storm of sword. This is the end effectively of book three. So a lot of the, so that's the other thing too, a lot of the overhanging arcs that occurred this season are also technically still wrapping up arcs that were already previously established last season as well. You know, like I said, the, we had the Red Wedding arc wrap up Rob's arc from last season, but we also, again, like John's arc is technically still hold it hold over Daenerys arc is still hold over Bran's arc they 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 really stretched out Bran's arc as far as that goes you know where again like in the books after Sam Le- after Bran leaves Sam at the wall the next thing that we get is him reaching the weird tree with this sequence we're about to hit next beyond the wall which is um you know Bran and his group they finally 
finally, after two seasons, reach the weird tree. And of course, naturally, because they've reached their destination, they've finally reached the point of where they can actually, you know, hit the next point of their journey. Naturally, all hell breaks loose in the sense of like, I just love how too how convenient it is that you have this little weird tree here and you just have all of these random skeletons that are just there that conveniently come back to life, like right as they're walking across. It's like, okay, so like what? Like you so what? They just all of these kind of undead soldiers that were kind of just lying here and we're well, just uh you know, I, I think it's one of those things where um, they don't really explain this. It just happens. And, you know, knowing the rest of the series and then sort of like, you know, applying what happens, you know, um, you know, towards the end of the series versus like what's happening now. Like you can only imagine that the Night King knew where the three eyed Raven was. Right. And, and that sort is of established too in season six. When we, when exactly. We and, and sort of had these these as guards, you know, uh, there in case anyone approached. Um, but I don't think that's really ever developed, you know, in, in terms right. of this season, yeah. uh, or it's never really revisited, uh, in later seasons that that was the case. So like, I, I, I agree with you. It's very odd, yeah. um, that this sort of just happens out of nowhere. Like it's not, you know, out of the realm of possibility for this show that there are just like the undead waiting there. Um, and they've just are waiting for people right. to move. It, 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 it's not but, completely unbelievable, but it definitely does start to broach that gap. And we get into that as well. Even though I do love this episode with all of my heart, there are a lot of points in this episode that start to rear their ugly heads as far as like, okay, we're kind of just jumping through hoops, fast forwarding through a couple of these plot lines so that we can get to the end. And I feel like yeah, those exactly really like, apparent in the next two seasons that we're like, about why, to why is none of their journey, you know, like, um, you know, involve them fighting the undead. Like, he, right. you know, he has to uh, take control of Odor and, and Odor. Take, take someone out earlier right, like, on. And, and this is even a point of confusion that I had in the books, which is that, so wait, they were trekking through how many miles of unknown land north of the wall. They didn't run into any undead soldiers before they reached the weird tree. Not well, one. Uh, and, and forgive me, I, I don't remember the, uh, uh, the, 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 the guy that dies in the scene, right? The oh, Jojen, yeah. Oh, Jojen too. Jojen so, still alive in the books. Does not die in this. Does not so, die in the sequence of the books. So, I'm okay with Jojen dying in in the right, show. That's fine. But, like, it gives me like, some more like emotional, you know, catharsis. There. Yeah, but I think the main thing is like, you know, he's having visions of the weird tree. And seeing Bran with the tree, uh, you know, when they're at Caster's, uh, you know, and they're they're sort of tied up. Right. You know, why don't we see like a, a little bit of um, why don't we just see like a, a, a zombie in that right, like a skeleton hand? Like, yeah, very, very helpful. Those green seer visions, too. You know, well, I'm just saying, like, he could have started having a seizure and then saw right. like the Night King. Right. It would have um, made more you know, sense. And, and, and then there's sort of a connection in our mind as the audience yeah. when, when they get there. Um, that, you know, the skeletons are going to pop up and, yeah, and it and, wouldn't and, be out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I, I again, this is a criticism that I'm going to levy towards George R.R. R. Martin, not Benioff and Weiss, because at this point, Benny, even though they are deviating, Benioff and Weiss are still pulling a lot of stuff from Martin's material. And this is definitely the point to me where I personally felt like, yeah, Martin was really not sure of where he was going to take the next phase. You know, because like I, I have a long-running theory about the Game of Thrones books, and it's why Martin is taking so goddamn long to finish Winds of Winter, besides the fact that, you know, the, the Game of Thrones property just became way too big and popular, which is that after the Red Wedding, he kind of was really spinning his wheels and figuring out, like, oh, shit, what do I do with the rest of these characters? And that's kind of why he kind of, like, had to spend so much of Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons kind of setting them up. Well, and then he's taken 10 years to 
fit to get to Winds of Winter because Winds of Winter was going to be like the beginning of the actual like end of the whole story. Like that's the whole end of the of the catharsis, you know, because technically Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons are all one. It's all one big story. It's one big setup. And there's so many things that happen in that that we still haven't gotten the payoff for because all of that payoff is going to come in Winds of Winter, which is effectively going to act as the Infinity War to this whole Game of Thrones arc and that it's the part one of the of the two-part wrap-up to this whole arc that that somebody else is going to effectively do with Dream of Spring because there's no way in hell that he's going to probably even write Dream of Spring or maybe he's going <laughs> to take the notes of Dream of Spring uh, and incorporate them into the notes for Wind of Winter. Who knows? But Listen, I, you know, I, I'm not going to uh, be down on George R.R. Martin if he um, you know, started this series. Uh, he became popular. He he's having deal, you know, like video game deals. Oh, and, so many deals. And, and I know, think the most uh, recent thing is that is like apparently he was in talks with HBO for three hundred and seventeen different Game of Thrones spinoff ideas. I'm just like, I, I you know I don't I, you know I don't I I don't really look too much into it. But like I'm not gonna fault a guy for making all these deals off of a series oh, that sure. he hasn't even for finished sure. yet. Like the guy, you know, is focused on. Uh, you know, the doing the things and working on the projects that he wants to work on. And, you know, it's one of those things where he could very easily, um, you know, say, hey, you know, I'll release this next book, you know, eventually. But like the final book, I'm going to pass on to someone. Right. Um, which, you know, which is so, very, very it, clearly the case. Yeah. Why not? You know, it's like he doesn't have to f complete it. I don't think he needs to. Um, and I think, you know, the the fans should be pretty clear that it's like you know what if, if he completes it great if he doesn't like you know uh you someone know, you know will what it is i'll tell you where it comes from book. it would have been one thing i i think personally i i i know this is the case for me and i don't know if this is the case for all fans but i definitely know the case for me is the fact that because i don't think we would have had this problem if the ending of the tv if they nailed the ending of the tv show like if they nailed the show I don't think we would have been having these conversations, and I don't think people would have nearly cared as much. I mean, they, they, they would have cared, but not to the extent that they do now. I think it's because not only was the finale so bad, but also just so inherently unsatisfying in addition to being just poor storytelling. I think that's the reason why, because it's almost like fans have this idea of, okay, that's not the real ending because we're still waiting for the actual real ending of the story, you know? And well, if I can offer like, some insight there. Just think about it this way: like uh, in thirty years, uh, they'll just reboot Game of Thrones. Oh God! Well, hey, they'll reboot it. They'll have the books will be done. They'll reboot it, and it'll be sort of like a what is it? That anime, um, you know, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Like they went through the whole series, and then the manga finished, and then they redid the the series. Well, don't uh, they do that with every anime now? The, uh, the, the, it's the, possible. The, like, I know about the whole Naruto you know, and Naruto Shippuden. I know it's a continuation, but like anime, they, they just run that shit forever. So yeah, so they could do the same thing. You know, it's like uh, if streaming services are here to stay for the inevitable future, Which they definitely um, are. They're gonna always have to create content constantly. So I, I think it's one of those things where uh, I don't think fans have to necessarily worry about it. Um, you know, this show ended the way that, that it ended. We'll definitely discuss it when we get yeah. to those uh, those scenes. Um, but like, you know, I keep saying is like, you know, I, I sort of more recently, you know, within the last year binged, um, you know, a lot of the series uh, in anticipation for the show. And and I think those later seasons are meant to be binged like episode to episode to episode because, for sure. um, you know, it just it, it's like when I was binging it versus watching it week to week, um, it didn't seem that bad. 
You know, right. it, it just, sure. it, it, like, sure. every, like, it just felt good to, to finish the storyline and kind of stream uh, through the story Absolutely. and get to the end. And, and that's definitely a part of the reason as to why I feel like those last couple seasons are much more palatable in when I was watching them because it was just this sense of, like, okay, we're moving. We, it felt like in the moment we were moving so fast towards that conclusion, you know? Like, I still remember, like, coming out of high school and into early college and being so psyched for what they pulled. Again, just what – if we want to talk about just season six and what that pulled off on a technical scale alone, I mean, it's breathtaking to say the least. But real quick, so we wrap this up. Uh, you know, the, the White Walkers attack, they kill Jojen uh, in the confusion. Fusion. They meet again. Another ref thing that the that the title references the to the children of the forest. Yeah, um, well, you know, one child, right? One child. The, right. You know, there's no other. You know, not nearly as finished effect. You know, yeah. they, they, they didn't so, know so where, to be able to pay that many uh, other. Where, other children. where, yeah, where are the children? You know, there's only the I, child hiding in, hiding in the weird tree is what I'm assuming. But I, I think that yeah. when they actually go inside the tree, you see like uh, like another one like hiding in the corner, or whatever. She brings him inside. There's some invisible yeah. force, presumably generated by the three eyed raven, that prevents the dead from being able to get in. Uh, they, she brings him before the three eyed raven. She, uh, you know, she sets Bran before them. You know, he kind of get. It's it's uh, another infamous Game of Thrones recasting. It's Stru and Roger portraying him before he gets recast with uh, Max von Sydow. You know, when Bran comes back in season six, still not quite sure why they decided to cut the Bran arc from season five. But and and then just come back to it in season six. Like no time has passed. Like I'll get into that as far as continuity issues go. Once we get back to it in season six, especially. But uh, he tells Bran, uh, of course, very ominously that uh, you know, oh, you will never walk again, but you will fly. And it's like, yeah, ooh, I, I, th- I think magic stuff. Uh, I think Bran's storyline because it's it's going into the fantasy, uh, but it's going slow. It's it's like revealing right. a mystery one step at a time. Um, I think that was one of the most interesting arcs to to really follow in the series. And like, this is the moment where it's like, oh man, stuff is about to happen. Um, You know, and and so... yeah, season five, if I remember correctly, doesn't they, they, really have did, much. Yeah, they, well, yeah no, um, they, they, they leave him out of season five yeah, completely. So th- that was like a big disappointment. Um, yeah. You know, and then I, I remember just I remember going into that just being like, but why? Like, well, what, yeah. what's the reasoning for this? I'm like, but then it, obviously, it, I think I'll, they I'll put, it, put it this way: it would have been one thing if they were gonna do Feast for Crows as one season. I'd be like, okay, so Brand's not the only character that's gonna be left. There's gonna be a bunch of characters that we don't see this season, and then the next season we're gonna bring those characters back in the fold. Like, it would have been one thing if they had done Feast for Crows as one season, and then yeah. Dance with Dragons as another season. But they didn't do that. They they, they still yeah. had I, I think... all the storyline still going. They just left out Brand. I'm like, so that that's yeah. what makes I, I think a little season bit six. I think season six, uh, how that storyline sort of uh, comes and, and, and what happens during that season um, is well worth it. It's well worth it. I agree. The I agree. I like, um, like actually, well, of all the original storylines that they put in that were finished essentially from the books, like, I think that the brand arc in season six is probably my favorite. Yeah, but I, I think definitely they could have had his presence there. Um, you know, they could have uh, just. You know, they they didn't really do much with the idea that he could uh, see into the past and he can actually impact the past. Like, they didn't have really enough time to to dive into that. Which sucks because, again, you you had that result with the Hodor death in season six, which is, again, like one of the most uh, gangbusters, gobsmack, and impactful moments. But, like, because they they ultimately. They could have really set this up a little more in season five if they had some time to spend on it. But that's that's about it. You know, it's. it's, There's nothing much left to say here. Like I think, I think um, you know this is such a great tease to what the brand story could have been. Could have been. Um, and then they skip a season, and it's like they they it's basically like, just destroy the momentum because like yeah. all you're what all you want to see is brand in the next season. All you want to see is right. is like, what's going to happen. Like, 
foaming at the mouth would be like, oh shit, we're finally going to get the three-eyed raven, like kind of, for lack of a better, like Jedi training sessions, essentially, and then we just go a whole season without any of that. And then by the time you get back to it in season six, you're 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 so focused on Jon Snow's death and what comes from that that you're like, oh yeah, Bran, I forgot about that and how cool that yeah. was. So yeah, still still really really baffled by that decision in hindsight, but we'll get into that in a little yeah, bit. Well, Let they had their reasons for it, so like unless you see an interview or whatever where they explain it, it's yeah, going to be a they, little bit and, of a oh, mystery yeah, it was basically for us. Film school for us, and that they basically admit, yeah, we had no idea what we were doing there. <laughs> just, oh my yeah. god, we'll, you're, you're we'll just, say that. You're just going on the attack, right? Now. Been, oh yeah. Oh, well, well, this, this to me, and I'll get into. This, this is the high point. This is the apex of the show. The show only goes downhill from here. So, so yeah, <laughs> of course I'm going to be on the attack. Are you kidding me? Battle of the Masters is all technicals in hindsight. There's nothing really that I take away from that episode that's, like, really, like, the, it, it's much, Battle of the Bastards to me in hindsight is really much more so of an in-the-moment kind of a thing. And in hindsight, that, yeah. a lot of aspects of that outside of the technicals do not age well for that episode Yeah, I, I, th- I think, you know, a lot of the show, like, at least the, the first four seasons, yeah, uh, sets us up for the really epic battle sequences. And, right. And, and um, the, they are enjoyable. That that's all that they deliver on is the problem, is the battle sequences. The problem is there's still so much other storylines that are happening that they could still be giving that same amount of thought and detail to, but because of both the 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 economics of where TV storytelling was going and also for the fact that they were kind of themselves in wrap-up mode because that was also when they started getting the negotiations for all those other deals with Disney and Netflix for all those other products that then promptly fell through. It's like all these different cascading factors just came into effect and it's just the point where Game of Thrones ultimately became too big for its own good, if, if I'm being completely honest. And so the fact of this episode kind of signifying the end of that time period, it's like, yeah, obviously I'm going to be a little personal because I love this show and I loved it when it was like actually good and not just like, you know, technically brilliant. So, but let's get into the, to me, like the, the, the other huge cornerstone of this episode, which is ever yeah. which is the, the King's Landing which arc. We already, you know, started to talk about it. We kind of teased it earlier on, but um, you know, there, there's a lot of cool things that happen in King's Landing. Like, obviously, the first one is, uh, you know, the the mountain. He's the holding with the mountain and the setup of Zombie Gregor. Yeah, he's st- yeah, he's still alive. And, and and this is one of the things that uh, we talked about it when we saw the mountain in the Viper episode. Yes. Like, you know, they lead us to believe that the mountain is completely dead. Like, because right. he has like plenty of uh, puncture right. wounds. He has oh, the poison. Definitely. But it shows, like, I, like, I, I, is he still breathing on the table? And that's, I couldn't tell. No, I think he is. Like, the, the, the whole idea is that he was like, it was like a flesh wound, but the poison right. is seeping through his system. And exactly. Like, yeah. Which that's I, not I what they filmed. Yeah, but exactly. you know, but okay. The show. Sure. The, the, the book uh, did a better <laughs> job of presenting that than the show did. But the, but at the very least, they still carry that through into this one sequence. And you have like again, you know, Kyburn examining the um, Kyburn examining the uh, you know, the body and be like, oh, well, well, I, I like I, how I Cersei is taking charge here. She's yes. like, uh, what's his face, uh, Maester, whatever Maester his name Pysel. is, Pycelle. Yeah, uh, still just trying to argue as to why he's even still around. Yeah, so Cersei dismisses him, and you know he's like, "This is my laboratory," and it's like, "Not anymore." Not anymore. And so, you know, Cersei's already making changes, you know, and, and you know, uh, getting comfortable in her sort of new aggression, um, you know, and, and so Kyborn is going to save the mountain. Uh, you know, if all, all things go well, basically, I think he says in my previous experiments are any, any indication, <laughs> you know, yeah, something exactly. like that. And, and it's like, you know, he, he just stops for a second. He stops for a second and just goes, 
this will probably change him. Though. It's like the, the, the procedure might change him, but I. <laughs> and, but I love how Cersei responds. And right? Lesser, the actor. Yeah, the two of them are like you know they're they're kind of speaking past each other, you know, right? Or not maybe not past each other, but, but they have this understanding. In code. Of they, but they have this great understanding of back and forth, yeah. which where it's like, okay, I may not understand what you do, but if what you do can get me what I need, then yeah. Go and for then it. Cersei goes, "Will he be weaker?" He's like, <laughs> no, are you? oh no! It's like, oh no! no. Oh no! He's like, I'm, I'm getting rid of a little thing, that, uh, a little barrier, a, l- a little like hindrance point called co- called conscious. Once that's gone with, oh man, the sky's the limit. Yeah, so it, it's 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 a cool scene. I, I think it definitely like um, Kyburn is one of those characters that you would expect to sort of be. Uh, a throwaway character that they yes. brought up for like a season, but the fact that he remains and he he kind of becomes that like that evil right hand of Cersei, um, you know, is, is pretty cool. I, I think I think that is uh, definitely a great development. I think the fact that the zombie mountain comes into play, um, you know, I, I think. I think they underutilize the character. Like 100%, obviously, 100%. it's whenever whenever Cersei's just in trouble, it's like yeah. show the mountain, um, yeah. you know. And the whole idea of like the hound versus the mountain uh, was totally mishandled. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, it, it's it's like it should not have happened. That's literally just thinking like, oh, we only episodes. got two, we only got two episodes left. Throw it in there, sharp. We got to get this over with, anyways. We got We got to get out of here. Yeah, you know what? They they could have just never had it happen, and then said, yeah. hey, listen. <laughs> Uh, we we you know have a spinoff show. It's basically about the hound hunting the hound in the ma- the hound in the mountain. You know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Almost, again, missed opportunity right there. But again, they just they had to get him off screen. Yeah, so we already l- pretty much talked about the the Cersei and the Jamie sex scene. So we'll skip that for now. So let's and we also talked about Jamie kind of freeing Tyrion. I have two. I, I have a point that I want to bring up again. I, I know that you are so fond of this right now, but another point that they left out from the books that I think is crucial as far as kind of to me also why this is Tyrion's real like last moment of actually you know being an interesting and compelling character on this show but uh the the you know the other moment you obviously being the Shea death which is just one one of the most brilliantly filmed sequences of the entire season but the big thing for me that the big takeaway here is the decision to leave out the Tysa reveal, which is in the books, what happened is that when Jamie frees Tyrion and he's bringing him to Varys, in the show, obviously, we get this very loving, you know, just being like, okay, you know, thank you. You know, you're my brother. You're the only one that stuck, stood up for me. And understand, like, you know, this really heart-wrenching goodbye sequence as Jamie says goodbye to Tyrion and they don't think they're going to see each other again. But in the books... What happens is that it doesn't end on as like let's call it like a heartfelt moment in the sense of where Jamie casually lets slip that the original plan that Tywin had with setting Tyrion up with the prostitute as his wife before viciously pulling back the curtain, uh, you know, that he talked to Shay and Braun about way back in season one. It's revealed that Jamie had a part in helping that. And it's that revelation in the books that Feel that makes Tyrion feel like Jamie, who is the last person that he had to rely on, has also betrayed him. And so it's the and so the the the, the and kind of where we follow Tyrion with the next phase of his journey going into uh you know the next book that we see him in that being a dance of dragons, we're led to believe that Tyrion is now on this mad quest of revenge, even at the expense of his own life and others. So we're meant to believe that this has almost unlocked a new sadistic side of Tyrion, and potentially we can see like Tyrion almost helping contribute to Daenerys' reign of terror, and that Tyrion is in favor of Daenerys' reign, of, of Daenerys' you know, conquest, of becoming the conqueror, for lack of a better word, you know, versus in the show, we kind of see him now, 
he's just the voice of reason. And I don't know, it just it's, it, it kind of robs Tyrion of, he goes from being the most interesting and compelling character on the show to kind of just being another secondary character. I don't know, like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, hey, listen, like, I, I think, you know, I didn't read the books. Um, so, you know, it's not, not like I sort of got this uh, characterization of Tyrion uh, that you're describing. I think the main thing is that sounds pretty compelling to me. Like, um, you know, if, if that is the case and that's the direction it was going, uh, like, I, I think with what we saw with the end of the TV series where, you know, Daenerys does burn down King's Landing right. and sort of make that unbearable decision to, you know, really right. just, just uh, be like who make, she was, you know, her, right. her family just, to was. Me it would just make a lot more sense yeah. if Tyrion is in favor of her mad bloodlust the entire time and he's fully on board and he's urging her to do it. And then at the well, end, uh, when he has he the shock, you reveal. Yeah, he can even be conflicted, you know, a lot right. of the time. And, and, um, and he is, that's the thing, like he is conflicted, no. but it's the whole thing of where it's like, yeah, like, fuck my family, fuck the world, like, dude, let's just burn it all to the ground. You know, that's kind of the the mindset, the mentality that he has. That's not at all the case that we have going into season five and six. And I don't know, it, just, it takes away to me from a lot of the more interesting stuff. And I've been very vocal about this, even when the last couple of seasons were running, is that I'm like, wow, Tyrion went from being the best character on this show to being kind of just another disposable expendable player which is like you don't want that from Tyrion Lannister he was the guy who you were rooting for for like the majority of the show you know yeah you know he definitely like obviously becomes uh, a advisor to Daenerys uh he does have a a, a few good storylines during the whole uh you know his tenure with Daenerys um I think when they actually finally get the Westeros and um there were you know basically he's making bad decisions and losing you know losing uh her favor right um you know that's when his character really has nothing to do he's he's at the mercy of of what she she feels in the moment right and i would um, even make the argument and, that that starts in season six when she when he's left in control of Mirene because we see his decisions to his decisions making in Mirene doesn't really result in anything actually fruitful and if anything it's almost like he's reliant on Daenerys coming in with the dragons to solve everything and then he gets rewarded as hey I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in season six Tyrion's arc yeah, season it, six it, is probably one yeah. of my most problematic parts of the show but it's just the fact that like to me I guess the point that I'm trying to come to is the fact that this is the last point to me where Tyrion is actually an interesting character there's a few brief moments in season five a few brief moments that he has back and forth with Varys but this is to me like the really the end of Tyrion being an interesting character and it comes from well i i think your your theory's out there and you you let me and you let the uh you know talking thrones audience know uh and, and the fact is we're going to be able to chart this going forward yeah, right for sure. you know, as season five six you know and, and whatnot continue we're going to be able to see what we think about Tyrion. uh and, and does this hold true that he is no longer one of the more intriguing characters on the show uh he's just sort of one of the the ancillary characters like you know it, it, to a certain degree like he's lost his you know um quest for the throne like now right, he's right he's basically you know goes uh and becomes uh daenerys's sort of right hand man and he's not really uh seeking major ambition anymore right which is uh, fine but i would make the argument that he was never really seeking that to begin with aside from the one conversation that he had with tywin about casterly rock he was he never really seemed like the type of person that wanted that had really that grandstanding ambition and if he did then that was just something that i missed completely yeah i don't i don't think it necessarily was to sit on the throne but it, it's like 
he loved playing the game. He loved right. You know, he was more. He was always that. more so about so, the action rather than the final destination. That's the thing that always struck me about Tyrion as a character. Yeah, and so I think his you know his character becomes more about like. Uh, you know, maybe Daenerys should be on the throne. I'm all in on that, and I'm just going to support her. Um, and so I think he loses. Uh, you know, he, well, I, maybe he gains. You know, it's it's more like he thought. You know, he was doing all these things for the good of the realm. I think he was sort of like a a Varys type, and right. he was trying to make it work with you know his family, um, you know, and the other sort of families in Westeros. Uh, but ultimately, it didn't work. It, it's too complicated. So, uh, you know, the fact is, he knows, he feels he knows how to do it. And that's to get this outside party to come in and break the wheel, to use Daenerys's term, um, and, and rep- you know, basically replace it with something else. And, and I think that's sort of the direction in which his character goes. He, he decides to take, a, remove himself from the situation. You know, obviously, he was kind of forced into it. Um, but then he's, he's okay with not really, uh, fixing the problem from within. He has this new approach, which is to fix it by putting Daenerys on the throne. Of course. And of course that also stems from part of partly, you know, the, his, you know, his killing of both Shay and Tywin and the fact that he feels that he, again, once again, had to say goodbye to very crucial kind of foundational blocks for him. You know, could we just talk about the Tywin death for a second too, before we move on? Yeah. yeah, Listen, I I love the fact that it was by crossbow, probably the same crossbow that's uh, sitting on the toilet. Joffrey had. Oh, it's great. And you know, for a fact, like when when he saw the crossbow, the wall, he's like, he's like, Oh, that little shit's crossbow. Oh, that's what I'm using. And it's, yeah. just, it, it's great. It's, and, 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 and the amount of times that Tywin's like, let me just get my knickers on and we'll go to my chambers. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no. You know? he's, like, he's like, oh, no, no, no. He's like, we, like, we, could talk, grand... we could talk in my chambers. Trust like, me. Is this, is this your grand aspiration to see your father humiliated? It's like, yeah, kind of. After everything that you put me through this entire season. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. and, and But the fact is, like, I love the moment where it's like, I can't go back to your chambers because that's where I killed Shay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. so there's there's this, you know, and then he's like, well, she's just a whore, you know, and and, oh, and he says that <laughs> one too many times. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, just his usage of that word and putting it out there and, you know, uh, like basically just leads Tyrion to sort of let loose. Right. Yeah. This is this is what the episode's about is really, you know, Cersei. Uh, you know, speaking up for herself, defending herself and her choices, Uh, you know, Jamie not letting her father and sister really just lock Tyrion away and and let him get murdered. He's going to stand up for what he believes in. And you know what? Tyrion does the same. He's going, you know, he, he could have escaped without a problem, without coming back and finding Shay and and leading to her, her death at his hands could have, you know, if, if that didn't happen, then, um, you know, uh, the fact that he went and found Tywin, um, you know, it, it's, it's the whole thing is, um, him sort of deciding, you know, this is what I should have did long ago Yes, is, you know, basically took my father out of the picture. Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, he does that and he realizes he still has to escape, uh, because, you know, if he definitely was, you know, he definitely was going to get executed uh, the way that the uh, the trial by combat ended. Right. But, you know, now they for sure 
are going to get rid of him. For sure, absolutely. Um, and, the, and the other thing, yeah. too, also about this death is that it's Tywin's fatal flaw finally coming home to roost. We've talked about it really since Season 3 when Tywin first came in, came to King's Landing, where he ultimately would meet his demise. He even kind of for, eerily foreshadowed it all the way back in Season 2 when he was at Harrenhal with Arya saying, this will be my last war, which is that, again, we've talked about this since day one. Tywin's fatal flaw has always been treating his children as commodities, always seeing them as just tools to extend his own vision and by nature, the Lannister, uh, you know, kind of stronghold over the realm and always disregarding their own individual thoughts, wants, and needs. And we see that come back to bite him in the ass in all different ways with Cersei, you know, openly defying him and kind of taking charge with Jaime making yeah. the decision to free Tyrion and then with that decision ultimately resulting in Tyrion, you know, killing him. It's there's, And also yeah. this, again, just convincing him that he that he's always the master strategist that even when he's literally got a gun or in this case a crossbow pointed at him he'll be able to reason his way out of it but again he just he 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 could never guess it's the thing that we talk about all the time, which it, it, it reminds me very similar to the death of Omar on The Wire, which is where we talk about the guy where, like, again, how could a person like Omar, who is always so smart and always seems 10 steps ahead of the girl, how could the guy who orchestrated the Red Wedding, how could you possibly take a guy out like that? And the answer is always simple. It's always from a place that they least expect. And that's what happened with Omar when he's capped by a kid who he would never would have, and a million years would have guessed because he doesn't take them seriously. And it's the same thing that happens with Tywin in that he gets killed. Well, you know, again, from a place that he would never would have expected, which is his own son, who he effectively thought that he had finally gotten rid of and finally was out of the picture and out of his way. Yeah, I, I think I think Cersei says it best. Like if he took one hard look at his children, he would have seen. Right. And, you know, I, I think he doesn't do that. And, and that's Cersei's point. And, you know, the fact is that's ultimately his undoing. Um, you know, it, it's th the fact that he blame Tyrion for his wife's death and the fact that he was, uh, you know, uh, you know, basically born, you know, as a, you know, imp or, or whatever slur right. they want to use against him. Um, you know, essentially that sort of... He was born of, impure, essentially, in Tywin. Yeah, that, that blinded him instead of, like, you know, treating him for what he was, which was his son. And, and that sort of led to this moment, right? And you know, it's like you tried to kill me numerous times. So like now I have the opportunity and I'm taking it because you've pushed me to this point. And, and Tyrion, um, you know, I think, you know, he goes into obviously his father's chamber with murder on his mind, finds Shay and, you know, uh, can't forgive her. Right. Uh, you know, obviously Especially she, when she tries to attack him too. Well, she, yeah, because well, she knows, him. you know, she knows what she did and, you know, uh, she, you know, she probably expects the worst in everybody. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, I, I think she she made a misjudgment, I think. Yes. Um, you know, I think the fact that she grabs a knife and goes for it, it leads him to sort of this blind rage that that led to that, uh, you know, her him grabbing the necklace and and, uh, you know, choking her. Uh, so I, I think it's one of those things where, like, he was in that premeditated mindset to get Tywin. And so after Shay is sort of unfortunately dealt with, um, that makes it very easy for him to stalk down Tywin and, and do what he's got to do. Uh, because, like, you know, he, 
you know, everything is lost because of Tywin. And right. he's going to get There's his even revenge. says it later when her and Tyrion see each other again for the first time in years uh, in season seven, when she's like, yeah, you killing Tywin, it left us open, it left us vulnerable. And to an extent, that, that there's a lot of truth to that, as we see. But Tyrion, the only thing that he's got to be focused on is getting the hell out of there, and he does. And also look on Varys' face when he lifts him into the box, he puts him there, and then he's right about to walk back to the castle. Like, oh yeah, nothing possibly went wrong. You know, He even says it too when he sees Tyrion. He's like, what have you done? And, and like, you just see the look in Tyrion's face. And he's walking yeah. back towards the castle. You just see the bell start ringing. You see the color just drain out of it. He just turns around and like, nope, and gets on the ship. I just lo I love that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a great moment because, great, you know. Great little details there. For the most part, Varys knows that whatever it was, whatever happened, you know, this plot is ruined. Yes. You know what I mean? So, like, they're going to start asking questions, like, how did Tyrion get out? It's going to eventually lead towards Varys being founded. Um, you know, and so he knows that he just, you know, he doesn't like it, but he knows he's got to get out of there. Yes, 100%. So let's wrap up this episode and this season with the moment that you've been waiting for, the duel. In, yeah, yeah. In we, we, we talked, I think we talked about, um, you know, the main um, outcome of the duel. But, uh, you know, it's it's like Podrick, you know, uh, is the only one to really recognize who the Hound is. And, right. And who, well, Brienne's you know, never a certain, seen before, so that makes sense. Yeah, to a certain extent, like, I think he realizes that it's Arya. Uh, but he doesn't really say anything. Uh, Brienne sort of is is questioning them. And, uh, you know, at least... I love the lead-up to it, too, where she runs into Arya, and she sees her training with a sword, and she immediately sees something that she can, like, kind of relate to in terms of kinship. It's like, oh, here's this little girl who's, like, trying yeah. to, like, actually deal with, you know, primarily a masculine thing in a man's world. So that's something that she can, like, automatically kind of gravitate towards, and, like, they kind of start the connection with. Again, it's, it's a thing that's completely original to the books, but I think that it's one of the few things, aside from the whole brand arc, it's the thing that Benioff and Weiss, I think, actually got really right, which is kind of introducing this kind of camaraderie that Brienne develops with both of Catelyn Stark's daughters, as, you know, as a result of this oath that she swore to her. Yeah, I, I think this scene you know, is, is well written from start to finish. And the fact is it's like, you know, going to the swords, it's like, Oh, mine's needle. What's yours? Oh, it's oath keeper. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I used to be just like you and, and, you know, my father didn't let me fight uh, with the other people. So I, I continued fighting anyway. And eventually he told me like, well, I might as well teach you to do it right. Right. Uh, so, you know, and that's sort of like if Ned Stark didn't die, this would have been exactly what right. Arya would have done. Exactly. And so there is that instant connection between the two of them. And, and I think making that parallel clear uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, you know, obviously when the Hound comes back uh, from around the corner. I love the look on his face where they literally, she, Arya is, is like, you can take a shit later. Let's go. We got people here. And he just comes out literally like he's been caught with his pants down because he's literally buttoning yeah, it's it, the, it's, the look at it. It's just priceless. Yeah. Well, it, you know, listen, they're travelers on the road and this is, you know, something that, uh, you know, it, it's how they, how they basically integrate like humanity and, and right into the show is, is they, they play with the humor of it. Um, but also at the same time, they make us aware of like what, what type of world this is right. uh, down to those little, little details. And I, I think right. that's great. Um, the the other big thing too, also that I'll say about this sequence as well, like just as far as how they frame it with the kind of the conversation, how that builds into the fight is kind of, again, it, it's also almost to me like an encapsulation of the entire show, which that we go in, wanting to believe in the best of people we have this almost like kind of like set idea in our heads just based off what we know and then once we realize the reality of the situation that's when it becomes a lot more morally gray a lot more confusing it's difficult to determine who the good guys and the bad guys are which again part of the whole 
thing that Martin envisioned with the story when he was first originally conceiving it. So I feel like kind of the, for them to end the episode, also the halfway point of the entire series on this type of a moment where you have Brienne who's attempted to do something good as part of her fulfillment of her oath towards Catelyn Stark. And then you have the Hound coming in and he's like, okay, so you've been saying that you're going to do all these things, but I've actually been doing them regardless of my intentions, that whole kind of actions over words thing and how that spills out. And then what is the result? Arya gets away from both of them. The Hound is left almost dead. And it's like, what ultimately is the result here? You know, she's off to sail away. You know, she, Arya, as kind of the, the recipient of seeing these two sides going back and forth, realizes, well, what, what am I actually standing to get here? You know, I, I have to, I have to well, do this on my own now. I think it's made clear based on the conversation between the Hound and Brienne. It's like Brienne essentially wants to do what the Hound just did, which is try to find some safety zone to return Arya to. Right. But the Hound knows that's not possible right. because everyone's dead. Uh, Winterfell is some rubble uh, in the, you know, in the Eerie, like her aunt is gone. Like there is no place for her. And, you know, it's like they're traveling companions, right? You know, they know each other. They, they kind of know that they're safe with each other. And therefore he, he makes the summation that th that's what's best for her. And Brienne is like, well, I kept this oath and, you know, this, this, it's my job to figure this out for her. And so then the two of them start fighting over Arya as if, you know, she has no say in the matter. Right. And I think witnessing that, you know, although this is not like something that, uh, you know, they draw our attention to, uh, this is, you know, something that we have to kind of, you know, critically think about ourselves, but her seeing the two of them fight over her, makes her realize that, you know, she's in charge of her own life and she has to make choices. And, you know, the hound is, is right to a certain degree that, um, you know, she really can't go off on her own. You know, it's, it's like the world is a dangerous place, but she understands that she has to, you know, and she has to sort of, uh, you know, her, the next part of her journey is going to be on her own. And, you know, it's like she's going to have to do whatever it takes uh, to figure out her place in the world. And I think we all know where it is. It's on the docks selling some uh, clams. Selling oysters, clams, and cockles. Yeah, unfortunately, we have to yeah. waste time with her for two seasons in Marine, ultimately. Which, again, like the one <laughs> thing that I'll say as far as the whole Aria arc, I definitely have more of a... Not not a soft spot, but more more of an understanding of an arc than I did when I watched it the first time. Where again, because the whole of Arya's arc for the entirety of the time, because she was just constantly being shuffled around from location to location, meeting all these different characters. I just I never really got as firm a sense of what her arc was, as opposed to the other characters who, as time went on, it became pretty 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 kind of clear what their arcs were gonna be. But Arya, I was always just kind of at a, at a loss of like, what well, what was the point of all this? What did she ultimately serve? What was the point of her character? And then just kind of the fact that. She she was always the outsider kind of looking at understanding that essentially nothing was going to work and that she, as far as her relying on other people that she was always going to have to find her own way. You know, I, it definitely makes the appeal of me of her going to Bravo. Sorry, I said Marie before the appeal of her going to Bravo's and training with that within House of Black and White. It definitely makes that idea really appealing because this is 
up, this is kind of the only real thing that she did on her own that wasn't kind of told to her, you know, whether from her father or Yorin or Tywin or the Brotherhood or the Hound or Brienne, is that this is the only person that kind of was able to help her in some capacity. So it makes sense for them to bring then the Bravos arc back as far as, oh, okay, you're a Bravosi. This is something that I've kind of been carrying around for the last few seasons. I can use this, you know? So yeah, I, I think the, the arcs for Arya and Sansa are pretty similar. It's basically um you know they're they're sort of controlled to a certain degree right you know it's like sansa is trapped by joffrey and and the lannisters and then basically uh gets you know into the situation with littlefinger and she has to learn how to make her own decisions and sort of you know eventually she goes to the baltons too but she has to take control over her own life um, and you know, it takes her, you know, Sansa a little bit longer in the series to, to get to that point. But, um, you know, Arya makes that decision here in the season finale of like, she has to sort of make decisions for herself and, uh, everything that's happened before of like the hound sort of, uh, taking her for ransom and, and whatever it's like, yeah, she's met some different people. She's had this different experience. Uh, but ultimately she has to kind of make her own choices and, and go on her own journey. Uh, and I think it's well expressed in the, in this, you know, uh, sequence that that's what she's finally doing. Um, you know, and it, it kind of makes sense that she would, you know, be able to come to this conclusion a little bit sooner than Sansa, uh, just because of, um, you know, sort of that, that, um, adventurous personality, uh, that she's had, you know, growing up. Uh, you know, she always wanted to deal with weapons. She always didn't want to fit the role that was meant for her. Um, and so, you know, I think she's able to come to the conclusion sooner, uh, just because of that adventurous spirit. Got it. Yeah. So, so you, so you're, so you're okay with the, so, so you're on board with the whole what's west of Westeros being kind of like her conclusion, conclude, conclusatory arc at the end well, of this Well, I, I, I think, you know, once we get to the end of the, the many faced God storyline and she comes back to Westeros, um, like, I don't think it's necessarily clear exactly Among how things, many other things. Yeah. The, I don't think things are necessarily clear how it, it resolves. You know, is it Arya or is it not? You know, right. was, was Arya yeah. taken over or did Arya succeed in in yeah. her task? Not of in a weird um, way doing kind of similar to what they did with Bran, where it's like, okay, so we thought that was Bran that we were still seeing at the end of season six. And by the time we get back into it in season seven, it's like, oh, no, that was just the three. It turns out he's now the three-eyed raven. And, and Bran Stark, a, a version of, the version of Bran Stark that we essentially knew kind of died in, in that weird tree, similar to like the, ver- the previous version of Arya Stark that we knew kind of died in some sense in that in the house of black and white and bravos yeah exactly and so i i think it's one of those things where like uh the arc doesn't really we don't get any clarity to it we have to sort of uh fill in the blanks um she just comes back as you know this cold calculating good you know like fantastic warrior yes um you know and it's like obviously she loves her family (laughs) you know so like so it, it's it's I don't know it's very strange what happens uh, you know in the later seasons with uh, with Arya. Um, so I think the arc you know leading up to sort of the end of the Many Faced God you know storyline and obviously uh, her sights are going back to Westeros. Um, I think that's all kind of works. You know, um, okay. I, I think you know later on her involvement with the Night King and, and like. Uh, with yeah. the phrase and stuff yeah. like that. 
Um, you know, I think that well, stuff is makes sh- sense. The Night King less. Yeah, so. well, it, it makes sense that she would sort of seek that revenge, but like she's also a new person. Like, right. you know, it, it's that's um, right. you know, to me, it's like she had, you know, the story would be like she has to go through the phrase to get back to Winterfell. Um, and then like, you know, when she's there, basically the phrase, um, you know, uh, they have a, they have a chance to do the right thing and, and they, uh, you know, they offend her in some way and therefore she's justified in it. You know, like the, the storyline could have been a little more developed. Like I understand sure. she's a revenge character and now that, you know, she has this, uh, new capabilities, she has the way of seeking her ultimate revenge. Um, but the way that they handled the storyline, it was never really about her getting these powers for revenge. Um, you know, and so they, they just kind of toss it into that. Like she just starts, she comes back to Westeros and then she just starts, uh, you know, uh, bringing up, uh, doing death wish, like Charles Bronson, just eliminating people. <laughs> uh, uh, like, it's like, she's Charles just, Bronson. She, yeah, she's like, she is vengeance, you know, if you saw the Batman movie, yeah. but, uh, you know, uh, like she's just going around like slaughtering her enemies from her list as if nothing happened in the last two seasons, three seasons, whatever. Um, you know, so it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. I, I, you know, it's, it's, they kind of just throw her back into Westeros and, and she, uh, you know, is, she's a new character. Um, but she seems to be focused on her old ambitions. And, and so, um, you know, it, it's there's there's something funky about it that we'll have to yeah. explore when we uh, cover those episodes. Which we will indeed when we cover those later seasons. But first and foremost, people, that's it. That is the end of season four. We've wrapped up yet another season of Talking Thrones. But like I said, we are not stopping. We are not coming to a halt anytime soon. We are going all the way through. No breaks. Like I said, no breaks up until we are done with this show. We'll be back with season five. Next week, the war is to come. But before we get out of here, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to a few of the characters that we lost this season. We haven't been keeping up with the death count as much per episode, but we're still give, keeping up with it per season. So this season, we said goodbye to Polliver, um, Axel Florent, Joffrey Baratheon, Dantos Hollard, Ali's parents and his villas, the Miranese champion and his horse, Locke Carl Tan and Rass and the rest of the Night's Watch mutineers. All those poor Bolton and Ironborn soldiers killed in Yara's very stupid raid. The farmer that um that the Hound killed and and uh, Mercy killed. Rorge and Biter, Lysa, Aaron, um the residents of Molestown, the Ironborn soldiers at Moat Kylan, Oberyn Martell, Steer, Pip, Gren, Egret, Jojen, Reed, Shay, and Tywin Lannister. We said goodbye to all of those characters. We said goodbye to a lot of ancillary characters this season. Like I said, because this really does bookmark. Let, let's call it a certain phase of the show. The first four seasons of the show where we've come are kind of wrapped up. And we as we kind of enter, you know, the transition period into the streaming period, we get a lot bigger. We get a lot more action. We get a lot more spectacle. That's all coming in the next four seasons as we wrap up this show. We are officially past the halfway point now. And with that being said, people, we hope you guys continue to join us each and every week as we recap Game of Thrones all the way through. To the finale. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with uh, and and listening with us each and every single week. Be sure to follow my co-host Pat and everything that he's going on at Patrick W Huber across all platforms. Be sure to follow myself at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. And if you're not subscribed to us on YouTube and Twitch, be please be go please be sure to go and do that at Talking TV Podcast on both Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch. Follow us on all the platforms there. And as always, people remember. 12 seasons in a short film.
and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next week with season five.